0: up our series on the five love languages and today we're talking about uh, the whole love language of physical touch and we said in the series that we want to learn the love language of the people around us so that we can love them better because really life is about love and, and spiritual maturity and spiritual growth is about is about how loving we are and uh, we've defined love the way Jesus defines it, this this self-giving love, this unconditional love that works uh, and works for and wills the good of others. We've talked about the fact that for some people, they experience love best kind of in different ways, sort of naturally. The, uh, some people it's words of affirmation, some people's quality time together, uh, uh, giving and receiving of gifts, um, acts of servanthood for others. But today, we're going to finish up by talking about this whole area of physical touch. Now, you can, you can tell if somebody's primary love language is touch, because like if the person's sitting next to you, if that's their love language, they're sitting right next to you, right? And if, it's, if you're not sitting right next to them, you might want to move right next to them, because that's their love language. Now, just like the other love languages, the master of this love language is Jesus. And so we're going to take a look at Jesus in touch, and it's really important. And this really gets us into uh, one of the most important areas of our understanding of the Christian faith, what's sometimes called the doctrine of the incarnation. And maybe the clearest and most powerful uh, time this is articulated is at the beginning of John's gospel. John 1.1, he starts out the gospel this way. He says, In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the word, and, and word here is the Greek word logos, uh, is word, uh, reason, is where we get the word logic from. Uh, any any of theologies, biology, physiology, sociology, it's the study, it's the understanding, it's reason. And all of John's readers would have loved this beginning. In the beginning was the logos, because like the ancient Greeks, they loved reason. They they loved it so much they believed it was like. This eternal spiritual presence or power, you know, may the Logos be with you, kind of a thing. Right. So some people thought Logos was kind of like uh, this divine kind of being yeah, that you should worship, and Logos or reason was forever separated from this fallen uh, material world that we live in, with our bodies that that uh, get old and are corruptible and stuff rots and so on. But reason, man, that was beautiful and that was separate. The, the Greco-Roman world worshipped it. For Jewish readers, you know, they thought of Logos primarily in terms of wisdom, and Israel loved wisdom. In the Old Testament, they often talked about it like it was a person. Uh, You see this in Proverbs, and it also says, they, they would talk about wisdom as being with God from eternity. So when John writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, man, every Jewish reader would have loved that. Wisdom wasn't just available to God, it was His identity. It was God's character. It was God's essence. God can't do anything that's not wise. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. They would all love that. But then just a few verses later, John writes, The Word became flesh. It's like, What? What? The Word became flesh? Like, God became human? What's that about? Anne Lamott writes about a little girl that was afraid to go to sleep. She didn't like the dark and didn't want to be alone. And she kept begging her mom to, to come into her bedroom with her. And finally her mom's like, you know, you're not alone. God's with you. And she says, well, I know, but I need somebody with skin on. Jesus is God with skin on. The Word became flesh. And I want to say a, a little bit about why this is so central to the Christian faith. Because I know it can sound like an odd idea. You know, really, God became human, like seriously. And the reason it's so important is because it means that God wants to be with us so badly that he became one of us. Because that's what love does. It enters into the experience and and the existence and and the burdens of another person. And so uh, through Jesus, we can know what God is like. And also somehow through Jesus, God can know what we're like. The Word became flesh. And that idea has staggered people for 2,000 years. Somehow, in Jesus, God knows what it's like to be hungry and, and tired and thirsty. Somehow in Jesus, God coughed, and God got sick and God hit his thumb with a hammer, and God skinned His knee, and God went through adolescence, and God's voice changed, and God was tempted and, and God bled and God cried. And somehow, in Jesus, one day God died. the word became flesh whatever you think of this to john this is not a metaphor or some lovely idea it it, it happened doesn't it doesn't matter because it's some sort of abstract doctrine that you have to affirm in order to be called a christian or to get into heaven when you die it matters because it means that god is not just an idea god's real and god's alive and god's active and god has inhabited our planet and if you let him god will inhabit your life Way back at the beginning of the Bible, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How did he do it? Through his word. And then that, one day, that word, which was in the beginning, became flesh. And the heavens and the earth came together as God always intended. And that was Jesus. The word became flesh. Jesus is God with skin on Now, for the rest of this message, I just kind of want to walk through Jesus in touch. And it's really astounding. Like if you look at the Gospels, kind of go through them, see how many times it talks about Jesus touching people? You'll see how essential touch was to Jesus' life and his ministry and the way he interacted. And I want to look at a few of those episodes and talk about how we can express love through physical touch with people in our lives the same way that Jesus did. And there's four general categories of touch and, and physical love that we see in the life of Jesus. The first one is the touch of healing. The touch of healing over and over again when Jesus heals people, he does it by touching them. One day a guy with leprosy comes to Jesus, falls on his knees and begs him, Lord, if you're willing you can make me clean. Now we don't really get this because we don't have that the same framework. But back in the ancient world, like um, leprosy was not just a disease. Uh, you know, people didn't see you as just being sick; they would see you as being unclean, and not like dirty, like the way we use the word unclean. Like, hey, go wash your hands, but like ceremonially unclean or ritually unclean, and and you couldn't go to temple, you couldn't go to synagogue. You were cut off from the religious life of Israel. And in a sense, you were kind of cut off from God. And the law was real clear about this. Like if you touch anything that's unclean, you become unclean. You, you become defiled. If, if I'm unclean and you touch me, then you become unclean. You like catch my uncleanness. You become like a leper. That's, that's why lepers were required to keep a distance of at least six feet away from everybody. They did social distancing before it was trendy. Yeah? So on a windy day, you had to stay even further from that than that. They had to tear their clothes. They had to cover their mouths. Imagine having to go out in public all the time with your mouth covered. And then they had to cry out, like, unclean, unclean, so that everybody would know that, that they had this disease. There was no HIPAA back then. Like, everybody knew your medical condition if you had leprosy. And to make it worse, a lot of times people thought, like, well, leprosy was sort of this outward expression of inward uncleanness. So, yeah, it was often associated with the judgment of God. Now, like in the Old Testament, uh, Exodus, you read about Moses' sister Miriam. She gets afflicted with leprosy as sort of an act of divine judgment. So it c- carried this moral stigma. Uh, rabbis would sometimes throw stones at lepers if the lepers looked like they were going to get too close. <laughs> nice, right? And now a leper comes to this rabbi, Jesus. Nobody touched him. He says, look, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And everybody watches to see what Jesus is going to do. And Jesus has an idea. And he's filled with compassion. And he hasn't said a word yet, but he reaches out a hand and he touches the guy. And now everybody gasps because Jesus has deliberately taken on this man's uncleanness. Jesus, the rabbi, has deliberately broken the ceremonial law in order to heal in order to save another human being. And now it's Jesus and this leper who are unclean, and everybody else was clean. And then Jesus speaks the words, I'm willing, be clean. Now, why did Jesus touch the man first while the man's still unclean? Because he didn't have to do that. You know, he could have just spoken the word first, could have kept the law. What's Jesus doing? Well, because the word became flesh to God, nobody's untouchable anymore. To God, there's not a human being on the planet that he has to keep his distance from. Jesus radically alters the idea of what it means to be spiritual. See, in the ancient world, like physical imperfection was associated with spiritual imperfection. So, for example, the temple... Like it was this really holy place and it was so holy you could not bring an imperfect animal in to sacrifice it. And the Pharisees, they regarded their homes as kind of like mini temples. So people with physical imperfections or flaws were not allowed into their homes. They wouldn't touch them. But Jesus, he keeps on touching. The gospel, rec- gospel writers record this all the time. Peter's mother-in-law gets a fever, Jesus touches her. A 12-year-old girl falls deathly ill, and Jesus touches her. Two blind men in Capernaum, Jesus touches them. There's a deaf mute in Decapolis. Nobody would go near this guy. Jesus touches him. A blind man in Bethsaida, Jesus touches him. Blind man in Jerusalem, Jesus touches his eyes over and over and over again. When he could have healed with a word, he chooses instead to heal with a touch. The religious leaders thought that they were showing their devotion to God by whom they wouldn't touch. And Jesus was showing his devotion by whom he would touch. Jesus was like, I'll just touch anybody. Do you know physical touch actually has healing power? I did a study at UCLA years ago. People who receive a meaningful touch at least 10 times a day live longer lives than people who don't. Uh, Gary Smalley said he sh- shared this at a marriage conference once. He looked out in the crowd and he sees this guy reach out to his wife and go, one, two, three, four. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's not meaningful touch there. So this week, if you see somebody hurting, or especially if somebody whose primary love language is touch, just take a moment and reach out. That's what our hands are for. It's amazing, the power of touch to bring healing to the soul. It's the touch of healing, you can do that. Second category we see in the life of Jesus is the touch of Reassurance. Uh, there's this great scene in Matthew's Gospel. There's, uh, we're t- told there's this event of tremendous drama and the disciples are shaken. And it says uh, in Matthew 17, when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. I love that Matthew includes that tiny little detail that before he says anything, Jesus touches them. It's like he's going around like, duck, duck, duck. You know, I was like like a gray duck cuz Jesus is from Minnesota. Yeah. So same idea. Like Jesus is kind of going around like touching them on the head. It's okay. Don't be afraid. I'm here. Touch has the power to soothe people in the grip of intense fear. Like if somebody suffered grief or loss or trauma, what do you want to do? You want to give them a hug. Because touch can communicate what words can never say. When there's a question you can't answer, or a problem you can't solve, a touch just says, I'm here for you. God made our bodies for this. And by the way, the church in the Bible is very often called the body of Christ. And that ministry of sanctified touch belongs to us now. And I mention this because sometimes it doesn't get practiced. One widow told her pastor, not only did I lose the touch of my husband when he died, But most of my married friends don't ask me out to be with them as much anymore either. I've actually lost touch outside my marriage, as well as inside. So if you're part of our church, let's just make it a deal that we will make our gatherings high touch. Especially for somebody who comes to church and they're afraid or they're alone or going through grief. Church should never be a place where people go and don't have somebody just reach out to them. One of the things I love about our youth group is that we are very high touch. Uh, kids arrive at the beginning. A group they come up and give us hugs. You know, we hug them. You know, and at the end of group, you know, they're like hugging each other. They're hugging us. You know, and I see kids at school. You know, they run up and they give me a hug, put their arm around my shoulder. There's just like that touch. Just says you're welcome. You're you're seen. You're appreciated. You're loved. Greg Speck says that uh, when he is speaking to students, uh, he'll ta- he'll say uh, be- have a big crowd. He'll say afterwards. If anybody wants a dad hug, come up to me afterwards. and I'll give you a dad hug and tell you the things a dad should tell you. And he'll say, kids will line up for, for an hour just to, to get a dad hug from Greg. Young people are starved for appropriate touch. It's a touch of reassurance. Now, we, get, we have to do it in appropriate ways, and I'll talk about that more in a minute. But this week, just look for chances to offer the touch of reassurance. The third kind of touch Jesus demonstrates is the touch of reconciliation. There's this really crazy story, the last healing story recorded in Jesus' life, just hours before his death. Roman soldiers get sent to arrest him, and Peter decides he's going to defend Jesus. So he grabs a sword from one of the soldiers, and he takes a swing at, at, at a soldier, a guy named Malchus. And apparently Peter's not very good <laughs> swordsman, and he just cuts off his ear. I'm like, how, did, how do you do that? Like, you're like, Peter, you had to be really bad to cut off this guy's ear. And, and Jesus is like, hey, cut it out. No more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. And something about that story is so moving, it's recorded in all four of the Gospels. Imagine that. Jesus turns to an enemy. Somebody who's come like, to kill him, And in this moment where everybody feels hatred and fear, Jesus reaches to this guy's face. It's a real intimate thing when somebody touches you on the face. And I imagine Jesus just kind of apologizing for Peter, going like, Sorry, you know, I've been working with him for like three years and, you know, still got a ways to go. Yeah, but here's your ear back, you know. And and he heals his ear. Then they take Jesus away. You ever wonder about Malchus? Like, if he asked himself, like, who does that? Like, what kind of man would waste his last miracle on one of his killers? Why would he touch me? now I wonder what Malchus said when he went home that night, maybe to his wife or to his family. I wonder when he was an old man if he would sometimes go to scratch his ear and remember the time when Jesus touched him. You can do that. Reach out a hand to somebody when there's been a relational breakdown or a disconnect. We tell little kids to do that all the time, you know, like. Kiss and make up, kiss your sister. You know, it's like I remember having to do that when I was a kid. Or you get a little older, you know, shake your hands, make up. It's a touch of reconciliation. And finally, there's the touch of blessing. And I love this one. There's this incident that gets recorded in several of the Gospels. Here's how Mark tells it He says, People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, to touch them, to, to bless them. But the disciples rebuked them because, come on, they're just little kids. And in the ancient world, like children, children were not valued, you know, we're not sentimental about children the way that we tend to be. They were regarded as the lowest on the status totem pole. But not for Jesus. Jesus would sometimes use them as picture of life in the kingdom, of greatness in the kingdom. And so when Jesus saw what was happening, it says he was indignant. And he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on them and blessed them. See, Jesus knew children were made to be held and touched and loved. Often, just like with lepers and the imperfect, that didn't happen in the ancient world. We know now that children whose bodies experience loving touch develop better emotional lives. Their brains develop quicker. They become closer relationally than those who are touch-starved. And it's really interesting because you look at this passage. Again, this would be really unusual in the ancient world. They're not, not sentimental, a very different culture. But something about Jesus just says to parents, like, my child would be blessed by his touch. Parents bring little children to have Jesus touch them. And the disciples, they know Jesus has got more important things to do. But actually, he doesn't. Jesus knew that to touch and to love is to bless. And he's always looking for those who are least likely to be blessed. See, to refuse to touch is to dehumanize. So Jesus would touch people other folks wouldn't touch in order to bless them. Maybe you know the story of Jackie Robinson's life. They did a movie about him called 42. There's this one scene in the movie where uh, they're in the stadium and the racial hostility is just like pouring out of this crowd And people, because of the color of their skin, were regarded as untouchable. Like, I don't want to touch them. This white shortstop from Kentucky, Pee Wee Reese, walks over in front of a stadium full of these people, and he puts his arm around Jackie Robinson's shoulders. And he just stands there. Because touch says more than words ever, ever could. I'm for him. He's for me. We're brothers. The power of touch goes so deep because... It's not just physical contact, there's a spiritual component. In youth group, for instance, we, we often will arrange the, the chairs uh, so that we're seated close to one another because that facilitates a, a spirit of connectedness and togetherness. And physical closeness can actually encourage a sense of spiritual closeness. Something just about being close to people physically enhances closeness spiritually. That's why like online church will never totally replace gathering in person. In the Bible, very often, when people would pray for people, they would lay hands on them because they recognize touch is never just physical. There's always this spiritual connection because we're spiritual people. We're, we're, we're spiritual beings. We're body and spirit all mixed up together. And of course, the opposite is true too. Physical distance causes us to feel more isolated and lonely. That's why if you ever see somebody sitting somewhere, here, Fellowship Hall, anywhere, and you and they're sitting alone, You have the opportunity to express love to them and to bless them just by your proximity. Now I need to say a word about the right kind of touch and the wrong kind of touch and how this form of the expression of love through touch needs to be redeemed. Every person has kind of a a personal space that, that should not be violated. Anybody ever know like people who are close talkers you know they get up right in your face and they are like ah you know just kind of violate your personal space they don't have a sense of that how close is too close well in the united states experts say about 18 inches from the end of your nose to the other that's that's intimate space we only allow intimate friends in there uh that close in conversation somebody else gets that close it just gets uncomfortable about four feet is personal space It varies, you know, from culture to culture. So like in Italy or Brazil, it would be much closer. In the United Kingdom, it's like half a mile. You know, so uh, if somebody violates your personal space, particularly if it's a man violating the personal space of a woman, that's creepy and that's offensive and that's just a little scary, so we don't do that. Also, there's a real important difference between offering or giving somebody a hug and taking a hug. So some people just are not comfortable with physical contact and we've got to respect that. We can offer a hug or a hand, but we need to be real sensitive to cue somebody may not want to be touched, especially somebody you don't know real well. Also, because our bodies were made by God and are, are so important and so enmeshed with our spirit, the wrong kind of touch can be incredibly destructive. So physical abuse in any relationship is, is wrong and it's sin and it's not okay. And if it's happening to you, you need to get safe and get help. Sexual abuse is wrong and sin not okay. Unwanted sexual advances are wrong and sin and not okay. The body, uh, the, the Bible talks about our bodies being the temple of the Holy Spirit, which means when I'm dealing with the body of another human being, I'm on holy ground. Now, I know this whole topic of touch uh, just raises a question in some of you because you're like... What do I do if somebody in my life has that love language, uh, physical touch, but it doesn't come naturally to me? Well, if touch isn't your natural love language, it's going to take a little work. It's going to take a little intentionality for you to get more comfortable with touch. But ultimately, it's about love. And love's not about my comfort. Love is willing to experience discomfort in order to will and to work for the good of the other. That's what Jesus did for us. The word became flesh. Ever wonder what Jesus' hands were like? He was a carpenter, so you know they were probably calloused, maybe pretty rough. But people noticed them. They were like, hey, you know, who is this that such mighty works were done with those hands? And then on the last night of his life, Jesus took those same hands and he broke bread. And he gave it to his friends. He said, This is my body broken for you. The word became flesh. And then he died but he didn't stay dead which astounded people they couldn't believe it even one of Jesus closest friends like I I won't believe it unless I can touch him and Jesus comes and stands in front of him and says put your fingers here put your hand on my side touch the scars you can touch me touch me the word became flesh Jesus is God with skin on why would God do that because that's what love does and that's what you can do. And you can do it this week. You can do it today. I'm going to ask you to stand. Uh, I just want to pray over you. And uh, if you want to, as a reminder, you're not alone. You might just want to grab onto the hand of the person next to you. And let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you that the Word became flesh, that love dwelt among us. God, thank you for the hope that the Word made flesh brings. And may that love triumph in our lives. May the touch of Jesus come through us to the people around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.